0: Would you please turn with me in the book of Romans to the fifth chapter? I want to overview a little bit of what we are getting into, but it is an amazing place when you consider where Paul has brought us. We are, at best, a motley crew, I must say. Paul has said that we are, none of us, righteous. Not one. There is not one of us. He says that none of us are, are, are with hope. He says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so with this introduction, he then tells us, it's okay, you come to your Lord by faith. Faith will give you the assurance of who you are, using Abraham and David as as an example. And so he takes us to this place, and today he wants to just stamp this assurance of who we are in Christ. He he is going to set in stone, if you would, the very essence of our security, of our salvation. It's a great, great, great place in Scripture. Please read with me um, Romans chapter 5. Let's read verses 6 through 11. It says, For while we were yet helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be at peace. God and mankind, those who have come through Christ, are at peace with one another. He has brought peace to mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. But there is no other way as Paul is making it crystal, crystal clear. Let's pray. I want to... Gee, I want the Lord to really touch your heart in this one. Father, uh, this is such a precious place in Your Word. It is a place that for those of us that know and love and trust in You, we ought to get really familiar with, to understand... Just all that we have. And and understand what Paul has brought to the forefront. We are helpless. We are ungodly. We are sinners. We are even enemies. And yet, our Lord and Savior died for us. And brought us right now the reconciliation that we have between us and God. More importantly, between God and us. And so, Lord, please, bless this time that we have in your word. Thank you for the wonderful music from Ryan and and August and and Brooke and, and Gabe. And, Father, thank you that we can worship you in music. And now, Father, we can worship you as we study your word. Bless us, please, dear Father. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Our obedience, let me start with this. Our obedience that we go through, through the trials and tribulations that we might have, that we studied last week in verses 3, 4, 5, and, uh, they do not preserve our salvation. In other words, being good and going through trials isn't, isn't the reason you and I are saved. Being obedient as we go through these things simply display an evidence of our, our, our salvation, an evidence of who we are in Christ. And they bring about an eternal blessing. Do you remember what we read last week out of Matthew? Jesus taught the last issue of his Sermon on the Mount. He taught in chapter 5 of Matthew, verses uh, 10, 11, and 12. He taught these words. He said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In other words, it's not, to, it's not enough to be persecuted because you've done something wrong, but it's To be persecuted for the sake of righteousness, he says, yours will be the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say it a second time, blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Note again, because of me. He says, rejoice, be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. So that's the promise we have. And so in verses 3, 4, and 5 last week, we as believers will go through trials. That is for certain. And we should actually, he says, rejoice or exalt in these tribulations because those hardships that you and I go through, that we endure, are a confirmation of our faithful living for Christ. It said in verses 3, 4, and 5, tribulation, which is... Um, being under pressure of the world, these tribulations will bring about perseverance. Perseverance was, in the King James, it says, brings about patience or awaiting upon God. This perseverance or waiting upon God will bring about proven character. And as we learned last week, proven character was uh, proof. In other words, it was like used of a metalsmith, someone who would take gold and and put it in intensive heat so as to burn away its impurities, to make it pure. And so this perseverance will bring about this proven character within your heart and my heart. And this proven character will bring about hope. And what Paul writes is that hope will not disappoint because, because he writes in the fifth verse, the love of God has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit, who was given to you. And now Paul is talking about God's love being poured out within our hearts. Now let me remind you, when we went through trials and tribulations last week, it should not seem strange that we as believers go through this. Twice in Scripture, if not more, we are reminded of this sobering fact. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, the third verse. Listen to what he says. No one would be disturbed by these afflictions, these trials. For you yourselves know. Know what, Paul? He says, you yourselves know we have been destined for this. In other words, to go through this. Uh, Paul said, I haven't shirked my responsibility. I have taught you that you're going to go through difficulties. This is something that you have been destined to do as a believer. As a matter of fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 12, he says, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, he says, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, it's just you. Not all of us will go through it. He says it's, it's a part of our, our faith. Now, I wrote a note to myself saying, Still want to walk with Christ? in spite of knowing the truth of the Word of God, uh, you know, where some preachers will say, well, with enough faith you won't ever get sick, with enough faith you, you'll, you'll learn all kinds of money and all of this stuff that is not true out of the Word of God. No, do you still want to walk with Christ if that be the result? I would hope so, because of what Paul is going to teach us today. Paul is trying with all of his heart to allow you and me to realize how secure... We are in Christ. And that He dearly, deeply loves us, no matter what our circumstances may look like. We have seen that salvation comes through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And we saw in verse 5, as we just read a little while ago, that His love explodes. The, The words He uses is pours out. Pours out to a place that it overflows upon us. Now, He says... This happens to you even while you were, verse 6, helpless, ungodly. Verse 8, a sinner. Verse 10, an enemy of God. We're a motley crew. I mean, really, when you come to look at it, Christianity is an amazing faith. I ask you, Would any of you give your child or your grandchild for a lot like that? Helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies? I would think not. I sure wouldn't. But God did. And for that, you and I should thank Him all the time. Thank Him for how much He loves us. In that, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. You see, every single one of us is a part of this group that, that Paul is explaining. He is just saying what he has already said in verses, chapters 1 through 1, 2, and 3. He's just reiterating the fact that we are helpless, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. And yet, God loves us. Now, let's take a look at what, what these words mean. Look at verse 6, the, the word helpless. It means without power. Actually, it means as if dead. Ephesians 2 explains it a little more clearly. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, says, You were helpless. The word really is dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. But read on. Verse 4, But God, two of the greatest words in all of Scripture, But God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, God's unmerited favor, by grace, you and I have been saved. And, he says in verse 6, we have been raised up with him, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, when you read verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 2, You've got to figure out, when are we raised up? When are we seated with Him? When we die? No, Scripture teaches clearly, we are raised up and seated with Him right now. God sees us seated with Him right now in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We just don't experience it yet, but we will. There will be that wonderful and glorious day. So, back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 we are helpless. In other words, dead in our sin and in our trespasses. But God has made us alive together with him. And to top that off, we are not simply just helpless, we are also ungodly, he says in verse 6. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter what religious group you favor, without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are dead and also ungodly. Only relationship that someone has with God must come through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to show you what Jesus said concerning that. I want you to turn with me. Hold your place here and turn with me to John. John is to the left. You'll go past the book of Acts to the book of John and stop at the 8th chapter, please. Jesus is speaking with a group of religious leaders of the day called the Jews. They were... When you see the, the, the name the Jews like that, it was, it's talking about the religious leaders. Now these are the people who were following after him. They were plotting to kill him. They just wouldn't believe in anything that he was telling them. And there were a multitude of other peoples following after him as well. And so he commits, he, he s- makes a statement to these people, saying that apart from committing their lives to him, they are not a part of God's family, they are... As we just read in, in Romans, the 5th si- chapter, the 6th verse, they're ungodly people. I believe it is here. I don't know for certain. I wish that, I wish that Dr. McGee was still alive so I could ask him this. But I, one of my favorite things that he says, I use it often, is you're either a saint or you ain't. That, that comes from straight from Dr. McGee, as far as I know. And I've, I've often wondered, where did he get that? And I believe it was out of this place in Scripture. John, chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Those who were following there, along with those people, said, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never yet been enslaved to anyone. Well, that's not true at all. That was a blatant lie. But they go on to say, How is it that you say we'll become free? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So He's issuing it now into sin, not being free on this earth, but sin. A slave, He says in verse 35, does not remain in the house forever. The son does. He remains forever. He is basically saying to them, He's eternal. He is telling them that at that point in time. And he says in verse 36, if the Son makes you free, remember he's talking about from sin, you will be free indeed. Well, they understood what he was trying to say. Only God could free a person from sin. Only a God could forgive sin. And so he is bringing them into thinking about what he is saying concerning himself. He goes on to say in verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you seek to kill me. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. It is here in verse 38 that he separates them into two different camps. Watch. I speak the things which I've seen from my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Two groups. Two different camps. He's going to tell them which camp they're in in a moment. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. In other words, you want to connect yourself to Abraham, then you ought to do the deeds of Abraham. In other words, if you don't want to come by faith, then you better live by doing what is right. But we learn later, was it in James or in Hebrews? I'm sorry, I don't remember. But it says, if we, if we uh, keep the law, and we keep the whole law, and we sin on one point, we are guilty of what? We're guilty of it all. So he says, if you want to connect yourself to Abraham, you want to come that route, then you better do the deeds of Abraham. He goes on to say this, verse 40. But as, is, as, it, as it is, you're seeking to kill me. You're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham never did or never would, would want to do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They say to him, catch this now, We're not born of fornication. We have but one father, God. You know what they're saying? We've heard the rumor about you, Jesus, that you were illegitimately born. Oh, you have a couple of fathers. You got one that gave gave birth through Mary, and now you've got your dad, Joseph. Which one? They were just trying to nail him. Jesus says, verse 41. No, I just read verse 41. Excuse me. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, then you would love me. I proceed forth, and I have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my words? Verse 44, here he nails them. You are of your father. Remember he said there's two camps. I come from my father, and you are of your father. He says, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature. He is a liar and he is the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you, he says, convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? And here's the issue, verse 47. He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you do not hear them. And why not? Because you are not of God. In other words, you are an ungodly lot of people. Two camps. I come from my Father, God the Father. You are of your father, the devil. There are no middle ground. That's why Dr. McGee says so very beautifully, you are either a saint or you ain't. Folks, there's no relationship with God apart from His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in this state without Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, you are called helpless and ungodly. Dead, spiritually dead, he is saying. Back, please, to Romans chapter 5. So he says, you're helpless and you are ungodly. Now nowhere, nowhere do we see God's love in a stronger demonstration than at the cross. And it is at the cross that Paul now contrasts God's love with human love. Basically, human love is this. It is motivated by the the nature of its object. In other words, we we love because someone is good to us. We love because someone does something kind to us. We love because because we just choose to love this person because they're kind. But that's not God's love. Look, Look what he says in verse 7, Paul. He says, one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. In other words, there are some who might die for a good person. But, he says, verse 8, God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. You see, God's love is not called forth by the goodness of the object. On On the contrary. We're helpless, we're ungodly, we're sinners and enemies of His. And yet, He has chosen to die for us. It makes God very impartial. He loves everyone, just as John wrote in 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16. It says, God is love. In verse 19, it says, you and I love because He first loved us. Anything and everything that we know about love is because He loves us. In Matthew, Jesus Christ says these words. We're to love our enemies. He says that God causes His Son to rise on the evil people as well as the good people. He says that He sends His rain upon the righteous person as well as upon the unrighteous. For God so loved the world. The Christian message is clear. God loves you at all times, even when you are a sinner, helpless, ungodly, even an enemy of His. His death is the ultimate display of His love. This left Paul to reason in 1 Thes- Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what Timothy says. It, He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Actually, Paul says these words written in 1 Timothy. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom, Paul says, I am foremost of all. I am the man when it comes to sin. Then he goes on to say this. Listen, this is a great addition to this This 15th verse comes to the 16th verse. Listen to the 16th verse. Yet for this reason, that Christ came and died for me, even though I was the foremost of all sinners, for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, he says, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. What Paul is saying is because of my faith and because of who I am, I am an example for others to draw them to Christ. I leave that for us today. I mean, there's a lot that we can learn from this. But I think this is one of the most precious things that that the Bible can say to you and me. Even though we are sinners, even though we are helpless, ungodly enemies of God at one time, we are now at a place where we can be an example for others to draw them to Christ. What a what, what greater reason is there for us to live? Now, if you're back in Romans chapter 5, gosh, it leads Paul to say this. Look, let me read, let me read verse 9 in chapter 5. He goes, much more than. I just, I just think you ought to chew on those three words. Much more than. I'm, I'm thinking, Paul, what more? What more can you give to us? You've already said to us that we are secure. We are secure in our faith in Christ. We have, because of what Christ did upon the cross, we are now declared not guilty. We now have peace with God. We also have access to the throne of grace. We can go to Him in prayer anytime we wish and He hears us. For anyone we want, at any place, anytime. We also can exalt in the hope of the glory that is to come. We can find joy in our trials. We have to us available the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even though when we were dead, He has made us alive together with Christ. He has raised us up and He has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. What more? What more? What more can we even ask for? What can possibly be more? I want you to know now, just as a kind of a sideline to what I'm about to say, this is my point of view. There are two points of view on this, and I want you to know this going in. Uh, I do not, I'm not giving you my point of view alone. I, I've studied this, and I've, I've kind of teamed up with, with some faithful, very, very intelligent men, far, far more intelligent than me, that... That is, that is believing what I am going to say to you right now, but I want you to know that there are others on the other side that may disagree with this. So I want you to weigh what is being said, and I want you to find in your heart what, what it is that you, you consider comfortable for you to believe in this respect. But much more. Paul says much more. He says, verse 9, read it, read it closely. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ Jesus. We shall be saved, it's in the future, from the wrath of God. The article the, before the wrath of God, lends us to believe that we will be saved from the great tribulation that is to come upon this earth. So Paul says, much more than not only you have peace with God, not only you have all of this, your secure salv- salvation, much more, you shall not go through the great tribulation. You will be saved from that. God will save us from the future that will see His wrath being poured out upon this earth to those who reject Him, to those who are truly helpless, truly ungodly, truly enemies of His, truly sinners who refuse to repent. That means I believe that every believer will be taken up in the rapture and miss God's wrath upon this earth. Why? Why? Because we're so good? Because those of us who have trusted in Christ? No, no. He has already told us we're not so good. No, the reason we will miss this is because He is so good. He loves us more than more than you and I can ever imagine. Paul uses the word much more often in the book of Romans. Look at verse 10, for instance. After he says in verse 9, much more than, we've been justified by His blood, so we're just as if we've not sinned because what He did on the cross, therefore we'll be saved from the wrath of God. But, verse 10, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God. In other words, brought to peace with God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, will be saved by His life. Folks, that is such great news. This reconciliation that we now have between us and God, since God's love was poured out upon us in verse 5, much more now He will love us when we are by faith trusting in His Son for the forgiveness of our sin, And to become a part of God's forever family. So verse 10, the last part of it, much more. We've been reconciled and we will be saved by His life. Much more means that this union that you and I have, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, this union that you have guarantees a salvation that is continual and eternal. We shall be God absolutely guarantees it. He'll not lose a one of us. He has us held in His hand. And He will securely bring us to heaven. You've got to rejoice in that. Because this relationship that you and I have with God through His Son, our union guarantees a salvation that is eternal and secure in Christ. You have, through Christ, through His death, through His resurrection, through His life, you have, past tense, been saved from the penalty of sin. You've been reconciled. The Holy Spirit has been freely given to you. And He saves you from the power of sin over you. Now we read in verse 9 much more then, but here in verse 11, Paul adds to the magic, so to speak, writing, and not only this. (laughs) There's more. I'm telling you, this is one of the great places in all of Scripture. And not only this, we can also exalt. There's that word joy again. We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now, now, right now received this reconciliation, this peace with God brought together with God through Jesus Christ. It's one of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture. It means this. What is your trial? What are you going through right now? That just overwhelms you. Where are your deepest hurts? How has life kind of turned upside down for you? Where has life gone wrong? Well, if you and I can believe God at His Word, then He tells you and me right now, we can have joy or rejoice in God. Right now, we have been reconciled with Him. And we can believe with all of our hearts that God causes All things to work together for good to those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to His purpose. He took us, you and me, while we were yet sinners, ungodly, helpless, enemies of His, and He reconciled us to Himself right now. Right now you have it. He has forgiven you. He has taken your sin, my sin, our sin. And He has separated it as far as the east is from the west. And He will remember it no more. I don't know if there's any more reason to have joy in your life. I, I don't know if there's any more reason for you and me to walk out here today and thank Just thanking the Lord. For all that He has given to us. I mean, what more do we want? But He says, much more. And not only this. It's just like... Paul is just this wonderful guy at this candy store just saying, here, it's free. Go ahead, enjoy, eat. You won't even get sick. Go ahead. See, Christian, no matter the trial, Scripture says our trials may be many. Scripture teaches that they may be deep and sorrowful. And I know some of you are walking through that. But even though We can walk through that. We can know, I mean know for sure, know for certain that God loves you and that his salvation for you is secure and sure and you are totally secure in his hands and he will hear your prayers. You can go, you have access to his throne of grace to go on behalf of whatever it is that might be troubling you and ask God to please help. And you can know, as we all do, that all things work together for good to those of us who love the Lord and to those of us who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm short. I don't know how I did that, but I went through that fast. (laughs) That's 15 minutes early. Isn't that great? (laughs) Let's rejoice. I, I, trust me, it has nothing to do with the games. It's not because there's football games. <laughs> I, just at, I, just, I, I just looked at my clock, and I said, gosh. I, uh, uh, so if you have someone uh, in, in child care, um, wait a while before you go get them. <laughs> you'll, you'll shock them there, and, and uh, just sit and enjoy one another. But let's pray. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we, we want to give you thanks for just your kindness. It's, it's an amazing thing to, to be secure in our faith. As a matter of fact, Father, as we will, will read, Paul taught this so clearly to those in Rome that when we get to the sixth chapter, they're going to ask him, well, what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin so that grace might increase? I mean, if we're that secure, we don't have to worry. And that's when we're going to have fun, Father, teaching that, no, may that never happen. As Paul said that he can be an example, may we learn how important it is for us to be an example on this earth, to lead our family, our loved ones, our friends, those who do not know you, so that we might, by the grace of God, lead them to the very wonderful relationship that we have with Christ. So bless us. As we go from here, thank you so much for this time together, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.